Good morning, Sanctuary. Hope you're all doing well. It's good to be with you again, sort of. I'm ready to to see you in the flesh, as they say. Not too much flesh. Maybe I should just start over. This might get really awkward really quickly. But you're used to awkward from me, so I think I'm just going to stay with it and force Paul or Jason or whoever has to edit this to make that decision. So, yes, good morning. And as we say, Christ is risen. No matter how strange our circumstances may seem at the moment. So quick update on us, on my family and me, before I jump into the sermon for the day. As you've all heard by now, I was let go from my job here at Southeastern totally unexpectedly, um, almost three weeks ago now. And we immediately went into scramble mode, trying to figure out what to do next. Thankfully, our house sold quickly, and it is under contract. We close at the end of June, and we still don't know for sure what we will do from here, how we will move forward. I have had a, a few job offers so far. I've not taken anything. I, I still have a couple more conversations with different schools that I'm hoping turn into something. So you can pray for that if you would. But we're we're ready for whatever comes next. We're ready for the the next chapter or next book or next film in the series, whatever the proper metaphor is. We're we're ready to turn this page and to go to whatever's next. But we're really thankful for the people we've met here and the friends we've made, especially some of my colleagues at university. I'll be friends with them forever. I was friends before I came here with them, and I will be after after we've gone. So still, pray for us. It is stressful, as moving always is, especially when you're not prepared to have to move. But all in all, we feel, we feel good and settled about leaving, and we're open to what, what is coming next. And hopefully it means I get to see to see more of you at some point. So the the sermon for the day is it's not really a sermon. It's more of thoughts that would become a sermon if I gave them time to develop. But I don't have time. <laughs> I need to I need to re- record this right now and and sometimes I found that even in its rawest form, the rawest material, sometimes people are able to connect with it better. In fact, one of my favorite stories, some of you have heard this before, one of my favorite stories is a, a time when I worked at ORU years ago, and I was a part of a panel discussion on human sexuality. So there was a scientist um, and a, a Bible scholar and a historian and me as the theologian talking about human sexuality. And I gave my, each of us, I think, had 10 to 15 minutes to give a paper. And then we had a roundtable discussion that then opened to the audience for questions. So everyone's given their paper. The, the various scholars have talked with one another about what we learned from one another's papers. And then the floor was open. And the first question was to me from a student, a graduate student at the back of the room. And there were hundreds of people there, at least 300, maybe 500. I mean, it was a, it was a jammed room. And at the back, he, he stands up to say, 
Dr. Green, I really appreciate what you were trying to say, which is always a giveaway, right? When someone tells you, I like what you're trying to say. And then he said, and I more or less quote this. He said, if you were to give me your notes, I think I could make something of that. <laughs> and I just died laughing. And I still laugh about it all these years later. It's still, I just, bravo, right? I mean, I, that's, I want to be that man when I grow up. So today's sermon, in quotes, is like that. These are notes that I hope you can you can take and, and reflect on. What struck me when I when I looked at the lectionary was the story in Acts. So the, the New Testament reading, the epistle reading for the day, is a selection from the story of Paul in the Areopagus on Mars Hill, talking to philosophers and senators and and wealthy patrons as well as skeptics and street artists about what he believes, specifically what he believes about Jesus and about God and how Jesus' resurrection reveals who God truly is. And what struck me right away is that just last week, Mother's Day, we were in Acts reading the story of Stephen, who is challenged by a council of Jewish leaders for his teachings about Jesus and about temple in particular, and is called onto the carpet and confronted and forced to defend himself. And I, I couldn't quit thinking about the kind of the juxtaposition of those images. Stephen in Jerusalem, he's a, Stephen has come to Jerusalem from out from from um, the diaspora. I mean, he's he's been scattered. He comes to Jerusalem, experiences Pentecost, is quickly recognized as a gifted minister and teacher, and then is just as quickly brought up for questioning for what he's claiming, which many Jewish leaders perceive as a threat. They perceive as, in some way, a a rejection of the temple and of Israel's scripture and Israel's history. Now, of course, Stephen is a Jew, but his Jewishness, I think, is in some way suspect by those who live in Jerusalem because he comes from Gentile lands. So even though he's a Jew, he's an observant Jew, and he's obviously a man of God, his Jewishness is, at least for some of them, in question. And his teaching, they, they challenge it. So he then gives a defense which ends in his being stoned, which I guess, depending on what you're looking for, is a successful defense. He does die as a martyr. Jesus stands up for him. Cue Ray Bolt's song, Someone Stood Up for Stephen. Uh, please don't actually cue that song. Uh, I'm hoping that just the reference is enough for everyone. But Stephen you know, stands up. Uh, Stephen sees Jesus standing up at the right hand of God, but everyone else is infuriated. They, they're covering their ears, they're spitting on him, they're biting him, they're, they, and then eventually they drag him out and stone him to death. Like I said, successful, successful defense of his teaching. And Paul's is such a different experience, but of course the thread that ties them together is that 
Paul is there the day Stephen is stoned to death. He's the one who is in, in, in essentially overseeing it. I mean, he's standing there holding the coats of all those who were throwing the stones. And, and now his life has been radically changed by this Jesus Stephen was preaching. And he's now in Athens at the center of Athenian culture, declaring a very similar message to the one that Stephen gave. And then I noticed that the reading for next week, the epistle reading for next week, is Acts 1, which takes us all the way back behind these stories, behind the story of Stephen, behind the story of Paul, to the apostles gathering in the upper room to wait for Pentecost, to wait for the Spirit to fall. And that pattern interests me. The ways in which we, we move from last week's moment of Stephen's witness and martyrdom to Paul's moment the heart of the world, the heart of, of Greco-Roman culture, and then back to the moment of waiting, the moment of, of listening to what God might be saying, so that Stephen speaks and is killed for it, but eventually that works its way out in the conversion of at least one of those who participated in his, in his, in his killing, in his martyrdom. And then that man, Paul, stands up and speaks, and some hear him and some do not. I mean, he's not stoned to death for what he says. He, gets, <laughs> he does get attacked at another time and is stoned. But in this particular case, no one, no one tries to kill Paul, but a lot of them just dismiss him. They sneer at what he says. Some of them are interested, and it leads to other discussions. But Paul has, has gone from the one who held the coats of those who killed Stephen to the one who's speaking the message of Stephen in Athens. And yet the lectionary takes us back behind those stories, back to the beginning, before Stephen or Paul are in the room, just with the apostles waiting to hear. And so before I say anything else, I, I want to, to draw attention to that. that. I think that that pattern, even though it's different from the pattern in the story itself, I think there's something instructive in that pattern, that there is a time in which we speak to those who are insiders, we speak to other Christians, and there are times that we speak to those who are quote-unquote outsiders. Although ultimately, of course, I think in God, inside and outside start to collapse really quickly. But you get my point. I think there are times that we, we turn and speak to one another as Christians, and there are times in which we turn out to speak to those who are of other faiths or of no faith at all. And that it's it's striking if you compare the two. I mean, Paul is grieved in, in Athens. Paul is grieved by the idolatry but the wisdom with which he speaks and his openness to the work of God in their lives is remarkable, right? He just assumes that their idolatry is grievous, not because God is not with them, but precisely because God is, which I think is so striking, right? Like there, there would be a way of looking at what's happening in the world and, and not being grieved by any of it, just, just assuming that whatever is, is. That not taking idolatry seriously as a threat. But there's another way of looking at the world in which you're so threatened by idolatry that you assume God could, have, could never be involved in there, in that, among those people. But Paul is both grieved by their adultery and, idolatry and grieved because he knows that God is close to them. And he says, your own poets have said this, and you yourself have this altar to the unknown God. And so he's, he's essentially trying to call them to pay attention to the ways in which God is already at work in them and has always been. 
Stephen, on the other hand, of course, is telling Israel's story in ways that challenges all of their assumptions. And, and so in this pattern, I think there's not only the contrast between speaking to those who are insiders and speaking to those who are outsiders, but also this contrast between speaking to those who are outsiders in ways that encourage them to trust that God is always at work, even when they're not paying attention at all, and to speak to insiders in ways that challenge their assumptions about being insiders, that challenge their overconfidence or their self-righteousness. And I think that Scripture speaks in these ways regularly, that the harshest words in Scripture are often, if not always, for the insiders, not the outsiders. And there, you know, there are astonishing lines elsewhere in Paul's writings where he says, you know, I speaks a word from, from the prophets that, saying that God is the one who is found by those who do not seek him found by those who do not seek him, and that when God speaks to his own people, he speaks in ways, in parables, so that they will not hear. In fact, the book of Acts ends that way. The book of Acts ends with Paul quoting that passage from the prophet and saying, God spoke rightly about you. The prophet spoke rightly about you. You, you will not listen. And so now you will not be spoken to. But I think that that work, that that pattern of speaking to insiders and speaking to outsiders and speaking words of critique and speaking words of affirmation, you know, calling people into question for their self-righteousness, calling their confidence into question, and encouraging other people that in spite of their unrighteousness, in spite of their idolatry, God is truly at work. I think those patterns, those contrasts, only hold together rightly if we keep coming back to the room where we're not speaking, we're just listening where we're not asserting our critique or our affirmation. We're not calling anyone on the carpet for being wrong, and we're not trying to celebrate what someone has done right. We're just listening. And I think that in some ways, that's the definitive Christian posture, or at least it's the posture we have to return to again and again, that the, uh, the word that we're going to speak has to emerge out of silence. It has to emerge out of listening. And I think that there is a time to speak, and there's a time to speak to insiders and a time to speak to outsiders. And there's a time to speak directly, even perhaps sharply. And there's a time to, to speak gently and to creatively draw attention to what God has always been doing and we have missed. But there's also a time, I would say, both before, during, and after our speaking, that we need to come back to the room, sit together, and be quiet. And, and that's what Sunday gathering is meant to be. It's not, it's not a time for us to be speaking our views one way or another so much as mostly listening and especially listening to the reading of Scripture, to the giving of absolution, and to the receiving of the bread and the wine. One more word, and then, and then I'm done. I, I, I want to leave you with this. I, I want to leave you with the idea that in those stories, though, we need to start thinking of ourselves not as the Stevens and the Pauls, not as the ones who are doing the speaking, but as the ones who need to be spoken to. I think that in the Stephen story, and I, and I talked about this in my sermon for last week, my Mother's Day sermon, which 
I say I talked about it. I wrote it and, and published it. Um, if you're interested, you can you can find it easily enough online, I think. But it's a it, in the sermon I talked a lot about the ways in which we're not Stephen. We're the council that kills Stephen. And I connected it to race issues. But I think it's about more than race. I think there are all kinds of ways in which we as Christians have become insiders in such a way that a lot of what we're doing is using power against other insiders to bring them in line. And I think we need to, all of us, at least take seriously the possibility, pray into the possibility that we're the ones throwing the stones, not the, one, the ones being stoned. We're the ones who are condemning, not the ones who are being criticized. And at Mars Hill, I don't know that we're always, or even right now, primarily, Paul witnessing to the world as we are, we are the world who, who are worshiping a God we no longer understand. We know his name. They didn't know his name, right? They have only an altar to the unknown God. We think we know his name. But I, I don't know that we know his character anymore. I don't know that we know what it means when we say that he is love or that he is good or that he is patient or that he is holy or that he is wise or that he's creator or redeemer or judge. I'm not sure that we haven't lost touch with at least a lot of that. So what I, what I want to leave you with is the suggestion that this week you return to a place of quietness and listening. You return to the upper room as you're waiting on Pentecost. And there, think of yourselves not primarily, let's, let's think of ourselves pri not primarily as Stephens and Pauls who have to speak words as perhaps those who are being spoken to who in spite of all that we think we know, in spite of the fact that we've been in the church for a long time and have read scripture and prayed and come to the table, there's still the way in which we might not be the people in the story we think we are. And my prayer is that, that I and you will let the Spirit lead us as we reflect on that toward renewal and toward the healing that, that we need. Let me pray. I'll be done. God, thank you for the stories you give us and the ways that you help us in those stories recognize ourselves and recognize you and the patterns of your work in our lives. God, I pray that what I've said today, the, the scramble of what I said, that you're, you're able to articulate it to those who need to hear it, and they can hear it in ways that bring them life and peace and joy and renew their strength. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.